jacked up, so raggedy. And you'll be like, how can one word from God change your life? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about our story. Edwin and I, we've been married for 20 years. We, 20 years, we still like each other. We still had date nights. But we got about three of them years that we don't really like talk about a whole bunch because they was real, you know, raggedy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually think raggedy is an understatement. I think ratchet is a better word of what they were. But we had a ratchet marriage. We went to church every Sunday. I taught the women at the church that we went to. He preached on Sunday sometimes. Sometimes on the way to church, we cussed each other out all the way to church. Got out, walked in, did our jobs. Now, you would think that the word would do something to us. When we got back in the car, we picked up where we left off, cussed each other out all the way back home. So we are living testimonies that just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you know how to live. And so then we begin to really, God began to really deal with our hearts about how there was a better way to live. But when we first started putting our marriage back together, we didn't have anybody we could go to. Every time we would go to a couple about marriage stuff, Lord, they would be as crazy as we were. We'd be like, all right, uh, okay, we at least know we shouldn't be cussing each other out. But for a lot of people, it was just the normal way of life or what you do. Or you don't share space or you just don't, you, you accept the fact that you don't get along. So we really begin to get in the word and we begin to find out that there was a way that you could change your life. And the scripture that God used to change our life was Romans 12 and 2. Romans 12 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. As a believer, accepting Jesus Christ changes your spirit. It reconciles your spirit back to God. But you have the responsibility to change your thinking. So when you're saved, you saved. Even though you see people and they don't look like they saved. That's because they haven't changed their soul. But the soul work is your responsibility. It says you're going to have to change your thinking by the renewing of your mind. Well, what would you renew your mind with? The word. You have to allow the word to renew your mind. If you still fall asleep reading your Bible, that's okay. But all it shows is that your mind is not renewed. So here's some tips for new people reading the Bible, okay? New people reading the Bible. Don't try to read Revelations. You just go get overwhelmed. You're going to be trying to figure out which seal we on and whether the blood, all that stuff. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to be scared. Stay out of prophecy of Daniel. You don't know nothing about that either. Here's where you go. Go to Proverbs. You know what it talks about in Proverbs? It says stuff like this in Proverbs, that a fool is an angry person. So then you can look at yourself and say, I'm angry all the time. I'm looking like a fool out here. You read something in the Bible that will actually change how you live. So you new people in the Bible, read Proverbs a day. Whatever day it is, read those Proverbs. You want to know who God is? Read the Gospels. Mark, Matthew, Luke, John. Read it. You'll see how Jesus interacted with people. That's simple. When you sit down and read the Bible, new people reading the Bible, don't try to read the whole Bible. Don't even try to read a whole chapter if you can't. Find you one verse that you can meditate on, like this one. I'm not going to be a fool and be angry all the time, all right? I read it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to practice it. Because it is better to be able to live one word than to read 20 that you can't do nothing with. That's how you transform your thinking. 
So we literally took Romans 12 and 2, which is why we will rarely teach and not mention that scripture because it is the foundation of all change in our life. We begin to look at the word and say, what does the word say we should have? What does the word say our marriage should look like? What does the word say our health should look like? What does the word say our character should look like? And we begin to allow the word to work on us. Well, how can the word do that? Hebrews 4 and 12 says that the word is so powerful, it is more powerful than any two-edged sword. Literally, it says that when you read the word, in, in, in James it says, when you read the word, the word comes up like a mirror before you and it reveals who you really are. So, like, sometimes you'll be arguing with somebody particularly married folks, and your spouse will be trying to tell you that you have a particular character flaw. And you will be fighting to defend your position. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, like they will tell you that you are rude in arguments, and then you will say something like, well, I was only rude because you was rude. But see, when you read this Bible right here, you will find that the Bible tells you to be kind and that a kind word turneth away wrath. It's what the Bible says. So then when you start reading the Bible, you get to decide whether you keep the kid to keep holding on to who you are, which isn't producing much, or whether you become who God wants you to become. That's why we value the word. That's why when you come, we're going to give you lots of scriptures. Because you know what? Inspiration is good, but inspiration without the power of the word won't produce change for you. How many of you have been inspired before? Let me tell you what I'm inspired by. Every time. On Instagram, I write these people, I, I follow these people called Shredded. Baby, I'd be so inspired when I see that girl with them abs like that. I'd be inspired till I like it and scroll past. I'd be like, I'd be like, I'm gonna work out today. I'd be like, I'm gonna do 5,000 sit-ups today. That's what I'm gonna do. I do 25 and I get on up and move to the next thing. So inspiration without revelation and a commitment to change won't produce anything. Some of you have gone to churches where there was a lot of emotional hype. We're not trying to tell you not to be emotional. We believe that God wants you to have some emotions. We're telling you we don't want you to be so emotional that all we're doing is shouting and knocking over chairs. And then when you leave here and they go, how was church today? You go, um, it was good. Well, what the pastor talk about? I don't know, but it sure was good. Everybody was crying and stuff. That's not how we want to live. We want to be able to live and say, I learned this week that I am going to stop being so rude. Because that's how you change your life. Or I learned this week that I am too anxious over the next move in my life. I am not allowing God to lead me. I am not trusting that the same God who got me this far is going to get me to the next place. We want the word to change us. Okay? Amen. So we're going to talk about how one word from God will change your life. And we're going to talk about the subject of faith. Because after you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, the most important lesson you can learn is how to walk by faith. I'm going to show you why. Let's go to Hebrews 11. For those of you who don't have Bibles, you got these neat things called smartphones. They look up everything. All you got to do is go to that little search thing, type in Hebrews 11. It'll pull it up for you and you can follow along. Why do I want you to follow along? Because if you don't follow along, you don't know that I'm actually reading what's there. How many of you heard things in church that they, not, they may be fact, but they're not Bible? Like, the scripture, like you know this scripture that's not in the Bible. That cleanliness is next to godliness. Not in the Bible. Now, it's good to be clean. But that's not a scripture that you can go to and find. 
And so we want to get in the word so that we're letting our life be framed by the word. And we're separating the things that we learned growing up that are true. And we're, ge- and we're keeping those, but then we're throwing away the things that are working against the power of God. Amen? How many of you want to see the power of God work in your life? I know you do because we talked last week. Now, those of you who weren't here last week, here's what we established last week. How many of you have made a mistake? Raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake. And so we acknowledge that God had never made a mistake, right? So we said if you had to choose who to believe, you or God, who should you go with? Who should? No, 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 y'all, y'all not with me. If you made a mistake, raise your hand. How many of you know God has never made a mistake? So if you got to choose between who to follow, you or God, who you go follow? We're going to say it again. Who you go follow? God. One more time. Who we going to follow? Right, see, I got to get you trained in that because some of you, you're not used to following God. You do what you want to do, which is why you always have to ask God to rescue you because you do what you want to do. And so if you want to be a successful believer, you have to trust God enough to follow him. So faith is the most important thing that you can learn. Hebrews 11, we're going to look at it. We're going to start with verse 1. We're going to do verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to go to verse 6. Hebrews 11. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, it being faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the world, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which were, are seen were not made of things which do appear. You look at verse 4, verse 5, it tells you the Abel received a good report. Enoch received a good report. Verse 6 is where we want to hang our hat. What does it say? Let's read it together. But Ready? Read. But without faith. Wait a minute. Stop. But without. How do we know faith is important? Because it said, now let's go in the rest of it. But without faith, what? So, no, no, stop. So why is faith important? Because it is impossible to please God unless you are in faith. So it says, because when you come to God, then it tells you what you have to believe about God when you come to God. It says, when you come to God, you got to believe two things about him. you got to believe, number one, he is. This feels a little like school, don't it, right? Because a church ought to be a little like school if you're going to translate something to the rest of your life. It says that he is and that he does what? Look at it. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So it says that when you come to God with your situation, number one, you got to believe that he is God of your situation. It says, and then number two, you got to believe that there is no way you could come to God and not be rewarded for coming to God. So it says, without faith, you can't please God. Well, where do we get faith from? Romans 10 and 17. Romans 10 and 17. Where do you get faith with anybody from? How do you know you can trust anybody? You spend time with them, you know, based on what they say. It, do you have some people in your life, maybe, maybe don't call their name, and I hope it ain't about you, but do you have some people in your life that when they talk, you know they lying? Like you can't prove they lying. You cannot prove they lying. But in your mind, you kind of go, if they tell me 10 things, eight of them probably a lie. And I, so I'm going to pick the two that seem the least likely to get me in trouble if I believe it. Right? It says God is not like that. It says so you know that you can trust God because you've already seen God work it out on your behalf even when you weren't perfect. 
So whatever you get in your life, you didn't get because you were perfect. You got because he's faithful. So Romans 10 and 17, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I'm going to have faith in God, I have to hear from God. That's why I have to be a person who hears the word. That's why I have to be a person who goes to church. That's why I have to be a person who spends time in prayer. Because I can only have faith in God to do what God said he would do. I'm, I'm going to give you a good example. When you go to work, you expect your job to pay you, right? You expect your job to pay you. Even though you, how many of you would like another, how many of you would like another check? You'd like another check? Can you just release your faith that another employer is going to pay you? Why not? Why not? Tell me why. Because you don't have a word. So as a believer, whatever you are pursuing should be based on a word. That's why if you have direct deposit and you work up on Friday morning and that check ain't hit yet, you like, hold on, player. Because I work for y'all. They gave you a word that if you worked, they would pay you. God is giving you a word that if you come to him in faith, he will reward you. So if you come to him but you're not in faith, there is no reward. Or if you don't go to him, you go to everybody else first, your mama, your boss, your husband, everybody else first, there is no reward for that. So faith starts with a word. Now, here's the challenge for us as reasonably intelligent people. Sometimes we frame our life based on what makes sense to us. How many of you ever had something that made sense in theory, but then when it worked out, it didn't work out? Like, it, it, have you ever seen like something, like it looked like a perfect plan? Y'all laughing because it's you, right? You had this plan, it looked perfect, it looked fail-proof. Ain't no way this could go wrong. And then what happened? It blew up. You know why? Because you didn't ask God. What you relied on was your own intellect. I'm not telling you to throw your intellect away. You looked at your own talent. You looked at your own intellect. You looked at your own abilities. And you said, based on this, here's what we should do. And then you had to get in a situation and say, Lord, can you come help me? So I'm just saying that if we're going to walk by faith, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with really practical things. If I'm going to have a good marriage, who do I need to be talking to about my marriage? God. Not your girlfriends. Your girlfriends can't tell you how to have a good man marriage with your husband. I mean, I mean. <laughs> Pastor Elwin say, you hope they can't tell you how to have a good marriage with your husband. <laughs> if so, you need to ask some different kind of questions. So I want to go to this scripture right quick because I want to show you how to, in a practical way, how to, what, what do you do when you have a situation? So Psalm 62, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Psalm 62. Are you guys learning anything this morning? See, because sometimes you're frustrated because you haven't gotten a promotion yet, but did God tell you it was time to be promoted? Because just because you're ready to move to the next job doesn't mean it's time to move to the next job. Sometimes you haven't mastered or accomplished everything that God needs you to accomplish there to be able to go. So now you're frustrated, you're prolonging the position, or you're going to step out and do something that your own flesh can produce and end up in a worse situation. When we're walking by faith, we have to trust that even when God tells us to stay, it's for our good. See, because this thing ain't all roses, okay? God don't always let you do everything you want to do. Sometimes he'd be like, no. You're not going to be able to do that. 
And so part of walking by faith is that you have to realize that just because it feels good and just because you want to do it right now doesn't mean that it's the thing that God is telling you to do right now because God is not just concerned about your right now, but he is concerned about where you're headed. And sometimes the situations that you are in, God is trying to develop some character in you so you can take the weight of the next level. I mean, if you can't take a few crazy people that's your peers, what you going to do when you supervise them? So he's trying to teach you how to stand in faith even when it doesn't look perfect. So Psalm 62, and I'm really going to use probably my marriage a lot as a, just as a, um, an example of how you walk through practically in faith. Verse 1, it says, truly my soul, we've, decide, we've defined in here in this ministry that your soul, it is your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, and your imagination. So your soul is a part of you we see. So it says, truly my soul, it waits on the Lord. Now this word wait, it doesn't mean I'm sitting here doing nothing. This word waits paints the picture of a good server at a restaurant. Not a bad server, but a good server. If you ever have a good server, a good server never lets your glass get all the way empty. They never let all the bread be gone. They're consistent, you know what I'm saying? Like the bread coming, now you're trying to see if it's just anything. You, you didn't shook your glass trying to make the ice melt. No, a good server is in expectation for your need. So a soul that is waiting on the Lord is in expectation for what God is about to say. So my soul is waiting on the Lord because I got a lot of stuff I want to do. I got a lot of stuff I want to accomplish, but my soul is waiting on the Lord. In him only will I trust. Yes, I'm smart, but he's smarter. And yes, I appreciate my mentors and my pastors and my parents, but he's smarter. So I'm waiting to hear what God will say about the matter. And I don't move until God says something. So when God tells me to do something, I don't stop doing it until he tells me to stop. And when God tells me not to do something, I don't do it until he tells me to do it. That is what it looks like. So God took me to the scripture when he was turning our marriage around. And he says, so... Verse 2, it says, he only is my rock, he is my salvation, he is my defense, I shall not be greatly moved. It says, so when I stand in faith, I'm not moved by everything that's happening because I got a word from God. I got a word from God, so I'm not moved. So I went to the doctor and they got, gave me a bad report. But God says I'm healed. So you do what you do, but I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to leave the doctor and say what the doctor said. My trust ain't in the doctor. My trust is in God. Now, am I going to partner with the doctor and listen to the doctor? Up to the degree that the doctor tells me something that agrees with God. I'll give you a great example. After I had Chase, I got real, real sick. I used to have these things that would just, it would make me just like literally I'd be walking and I would just fall down in pain. And so they took me to the emergency room three times. I went to the emergency room the first time. They said, we need to take your gallbladder out. So I was laying there. The Lord said, don't let them take your gallbladder out. So I said, all right, believe God. What I'm going to do? Don't take my gallbladder out. I go to the doctor the second time. They say, same thing. We need to take your gallbladder out. Nope, can't take my gallbladder out. 
Now, when you're in pain and the expert says your gallbladder need to come out, it just makes sense to do what the expert says unless God tells you something else. So put experts in their right place. They are second to God because they practicing. You just practicing with my body. You ain't been with it from the beginning. So the third time I went to the doctor, this is what the Lord said. He said, do not go to the emergency room you've gone to before. Go to the emergency room in Springdale. When you go, do not tell them you have been here for this before. I go to the doctor. Doctor comes in. He checks me out. He walks out. He comes back in. He says, did you just have a baby in the last six months? And I said, yes. He says, your intestines are turned. Take some citrus cell and it'll work it out. I took, then I told him what they said. He said, if they had taken your gallbladder out, all you'd have was a missing gallbladder and, 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 and pain. You'd have still been in pain. Because God will position you with who has your answer when you get in faith. So instead of having surgery, I went and got me some $9.97 Centracell and started drinking a glass every day. And from that day to this, he almost 15. I have never had that happen again because God knows. That's what faith says. Faith says you may not always understand why I can't do what you think I should do. But my expectation ain't in you. Because we already established that you're wrong sometimes. So if I got a bet... And if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose with God. And if I choose to lose with God, I can't ever lose. Is this, is this make sense? Let's look at verse 5. It says, my soul, wait thou only on the Lord. It's an instruction right here because it says your soul gets antsy. Your soul gets antsy. That's why the Bible had to say don't be anxious over anything. Your soul gets antsy. Have you ever wanted a new car? Have you ever wanted a new car? Have you ever wanted a new anything, a new house? If you ain't careful, you'll get antsy about that thing. And then you start trying to use scripture to manipulate, to make something happen. It's the will of God for me to have a new house. Did he say today? This is the will of God. I am a child of God. I got Because here's the thing I need you to understand. Because we're going to look at some scriptures later that say that we have a right to have what we say. But if you put it in connection, you only have the right to say to have what God said you can have. I'll give you a perfect example. Faith is not a tool of manipulation. The Bible says that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Say, God has a plan and a purpose for my life. How many believe God has a plan and purpose for your life? So if God has a plan and purpose for your life, he has a plan and purpose for other people's lives, right? So sometimes you don't get something because it wasn't yours. It wasn't your promotion. It wasn't the promotion he set for you. It wasn't the house he set for you. It wasn't the car he set for you. He has something for you, but it's not that. Aren't you glad that everybody who wanted to be in a relationship with you, their faith didn't work? Aren't you glad that everybody that wanted to use their faith, everybody that got down on their knees and said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I believe that I want to be with Sean. Aren't you glad that God said to somebody, no, that ain't for you. Now, let's take it further. Aren't you glad that some of the people you begged God for, there are some of you want to run down the hall right now. now. I don't know if men do this, but women do. They like, Lord, you know I don't put a lot of time in here. Lord, I don't put a lot of time in this relationship and 
And, and, and Lord, we've been through a lot together. And I just, I, I, and I, I need you to turn him. I need you to make this work for me. I've been faithful, God. Aren't you glad that the Lord was like, I ain't listening to that. That, that ain't my plan for you. So what, so part of, part of soul maturity is to learn how to handle when God says no. Because you understand he has a better yes. Because faith is not just my ability to pursue it's my, my ability to stop. It's not, faith is not just that I get to do everything I want to do when I do it. That sometimes it is the God is like, wait. Because I see something you can't see. Amen. So it says your soul will get anxious. So you have to command your soul to wait. Now we got kids. Anybody who has multiple kids know this. They say stuff like, she made me mad. We say at our house, no one makes you mad unless you give them the power to. So they can't make you leave your job. They can't make you have a bad day at work unless you give them the power to. Even if your spouse acting crazy, they can't steal your peace unless you let them. Amen, Amen like bug, praise the Lord. Your spouse, nor your children, nor your, nor your employers, nor your bank account make you have a bad day. None of that. It's been people with crazy wives, they still happy. It's been people with crazy kids, they still happy. It's been people with no money, they still happy. Some of us grew up with grandmothers, they ain't never had no money, but they was always happy. Because you get to choose how you feel. Your soul has to say, I'm going to trust God. So if God tells me I don't have a promotion right now, I ain't going to go back to work and be salty. I'm going to go to work and work diligently. Because if you go back to work and work salty, all you show to God is that you weren't ready for the promotion anyway. That's all you did. Because as a parent, sometimes when I tell my kids no, I'm only telling my kids no to see how they go respond to a no. There are things I would do if they just respond appropriately. But if you go ahead and throw that temperature, I, I really was going to take you out. I really was going to take you out. I was. But because you fell down in this floor, you know what we going to do? We going to eat Raymond noodles tonight. That's what we going to eat. Watch and see. We ain't going no Chuck E. Cheese. I'm telling you that in your life, it's your temper tantrums that's keeping you stuck. I can't believe I got to put up with this. Well, Jesus was on the cross, and see, then you come to church, because in here when your hypocrisy be shown now, right? Because you love Jesus so much. Gee, you died on the cross. We play, we play the passion of Christ. Everybody get to crying. I ain't believe they killed Jesus. You want to kill them because they killed Jesus and all that stuff. Then Jesus asked you to do one thing. Be nice to the lady who's talking about you. I don't be nice. Nobody talking about me because I ain't got to take that. See, you don't really get what it means to walk by faith. You over there praying for, listen, this is true. I used to pray to pastor when we get leprosy. Now we weren't pastors then. <laughs> true story. This is true. He be talking crazy to me. He be talking crazy to me. I be like, Lord, I say, you said in the word that you should not deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. You see how you use the word right there? I say, he has dealt treacherously with me. The next time he pick up that remote, give him leprosy. Tell him, don't never talk to me like that. Hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me. 
And one day the Lord said to me, he said, don't come back in here and talk to me about Edwin no more. I want to talk about you. I was like, what's wrong with me? I was like, our marriage would be amazing if Edwin just did what I told him to do. He was like, don't come back in here and talk about Edwin till we can talk about you. And see, sometimes you want to talk about the people on your job. You want to talk about your spouse. You want to talk about the economy. You want to talk about the president. The Lord want to talk about you. He wanted you to see that if you would grow up in your character, if you would seek wisdom, if you would seek instruction, you would know what to do regardless of the fact. So then we go on in our marriage and we change because, we, you know, we used to be, we got married when we were still in college. And if anybody's ever got married when they were still in college and they weren't really living for the Lord, you know them could be some real interesting times. And plus he a Q, and if you know he a Q, you know that adds some other stuff to it. We just going to leave it right there if you, know, if you know you know what that means. All right. So, um. So we have some challenges, and, 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 and there are some people in their natural personality, they are retreaters. They don't necessarily like conflict. I am not that person. I, I, I'm, more like, I, I, I'm more like, oh, we going to war today? Let me take off my tennis shoes then if that's what we about to do up in here. So it didn't, conflict with us didn't really, there wasn't anybody who really know how to de-escalate conf, conflict. So the Lord began to teach me how to de-escalate conflict which went against everything I was. The Lord would say, when he say something, I don't want you to say nothing. Well, why would I do something like that? I'm trying to help some of you. Uh, why, would, why would he be talking crazy to me and I would not say anything back? Because the Lord was trying to teach me how to produce a marriage that I couldn't produce doing it my way. The Lord is trying to teach you these situations in your life that aren't moving. If they aren't moving, you're missing the lesson. If you manage the lesson, you can move to the next level. So the first time that he was hollering at me when I was trying not to holler, we, I made it 10 seconds. <laughs> 10 seconds. But then I made it to 30 seconds. And then I made it to two minutes one time, and he said these words right here. He said, I was crying because I was trying not to say nothing. I was crying. <laughs> I was crying. If, and if you're a fighter, you know what I'm talking about. And if you ain't a fighter, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you're a fighter, if, you, if you're not a fighter, you was crying for a different reason. But I was crying because I'm like, God, I am trying to obey you. And he said to me, are you crying now? I ain't moved by your tears. The Lord was like, hey, go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom quick. Go to the bathroom. I need you to go to the bathroom. I'm like, you ain't moved by my, I got something can move you up in here. But now, here's what happens. Here's the reality. Now, all these years later, our kids have never seen us interact like that. Our kids don't even know that that's a realm of reality because we let God do the work. But here's the thing, because sometimes we're so concerned about how God is asking us to do something and what he's asking the other people, person to do. You ever been like, God wants you to do the right thing, but you also want to know what God is asking the other person to do too. Okay, let me help you. That ain't your business. What God is asking the other person to do don't have nothing to do with you. When God is changing your coworker, when he's changing your boss, when he's dealing with that, your only responsibility is to do what he told you to do. So what I found out years ago, years later, is that when I stopped responding, God, he started asking God, like, what was wrong with me? Like, just ask it, and then that gave God a space to work with him. There are things that you keep trying to fix doing it your way, and it ain't working. Stop. 
the classic definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So then what do you do? You say, God, what do I need to do? And then God tells you when to talk, when not to talk what to say, how to say it. God will lead you into a place of wisdom. It's not this place of oppression where on your job you're letting people mistreat you and you don't deal with it. You just let God give you wisdom about how to deal with it and when to deal with it. It says, so you let your soul, you make your soul wait on the Lord because he is your rock. In verse 7 he says, because he is my salvation and my glory, he is my strength and my refuge is in God. Faith is the decision to trust God even when it doesn't make sense to trust God. Now, we're almost done. Let's go back to Romans 4, which is where we were last week. Romans 4, where it talks about Abraham. How many of you know that Abraham is the father of faith? How many of you know that God told Abraham that he was going to have a child when he was already old? He was already old. He was 75 when God told him he was going to have a child, and they had never had a child. But he was 100 before they actually got that child. 25 years. I told you last week that sometimes you're following God and it seems like God isn't coming through. Don't stop believing God. Don't stop believing God. If you went back to get your degree and you had to leave school for a reason, even if you have to go to school and take three hours at a time when you get the degree is yours, don't let go of what God said. Don't let go of what God promised. If God tells you that he'll turn your marriage around and he'll make it better than it ever was, don't let go of the promise. Maybe it takes you two years to fix it, but once it's fixed, it's fixed. Does that make sense? You go to get a house. They turn you down on your credit. Don't just resolve <coughs> to live in an apartment forever or rent. Do the work on your credit because once you get it, it's yours. Don't allow your circumstances to talk you out of what God said. So let's look at Romans 4, because remember, whatever we want, and, and here's the resolve you really have to make. You have to decide that you believe God is good. How many of you believe God is good? And you have to decide that you, because you believe God is good, that you believe that whatever God has for you is better than what you pick for yourself. Amen? Say, what God picks for me is always better than anything I pick for myself. Are you getting something from this? Because we want to be able to walk by faith in our life and see victory. Being a Christian doesn't exempt you from life challenges. But your whole life shouldn't be a challenge. There should be some victory. There should be some going from faith to faith. And, and like you, you shouldn't be struggling with your money always. You shouldn't be struggling with your marriage always. You shouldn't be struggling on every job you done had. Uh, so every job you done had, you are the common denominator. Everywhere you go, there you are. There is a reason you keep ending up in that situation. So Romans 4, we almost done. Amen. Let's look at verse 13. We're going to start with verse 13. We're going to, then we'll go to verse 16, so 13 and 16. It says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So it says that whatever promise you get, you're going to get it by faith. Whatever promise God gives, listen, let me help you. God never predicts or tells you what you can be based on you. 
He never tells you what you can build based on your money, based on your credit, based on your education. God never puts it on you. He puts it on what he knows he put in you that you can't even see yet. In fact, God gives you a promise because it'll make you grow up and look like Jesus. So what seems like just a promise about a house is an opportunity for a faith testimony. What seems like it's just about a job is about a faith testimony. It's about the opportunity to show up in a place and people are wondering how you got there and you'd be like, God did that. God did that. And see, the truth of it is, is that some of you are feeling a little frustrated in your life because you keep trying to go to this next level, but God is trying to take you to this next, next level. But you know, you keep looking at yourself to determine whether you can get there or not. You can't. But by faith, what was impossible to you becomes possible. So it says that this, whatever promise we get, we're going to get it by faith. And then in verse 16, it says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. And really, here's the difference in it. People who aren't walking by faith are hoping their works will produce something. People who are in faith are working because they already believe. I'm going to give you an example you can understand. I wash clothes because I am a wife. I don't wash clothes trying to get somebody to wife me. There is a difference. I do what I do from my position, not trying to convince somebody that they should make me that. That is really the difference between walking in faith. When I'm not in faith, I'm trying to prove that I'm good enough to have whatever. When I'm in faith, I'm responding based on what already exists. It says, so it says that the end of the promise might be sure to all seed. You are a seed of Abraham, in case you didn't know. It says, not only to that which were under the law, so not only to Jewish people, but to those which were of faith. Every one of us are children of Abraham by faith. It's our faith in Jesus that gives us access, that grafts us into the promises of God. In the Old Testament, all the promises of God are to the Jewish people. The only way that you even qualify for them is that you are grafted in to Abraham's faith through Jesus Christ. Without that, you don't even qualify for anything in the Old Testament because you ain't Jewish. It says that he made it available to the Gentile and the Jew, which is, as a point, which is why Christians shouldn't be anti-Jews. Everything we got, we got because of the Jews. He says he grafted us into this same tree. Literally, he adopted us. He said, you're not Jewish, but because you accept Jesus, you're Jewish. And everything that they're entitled to, you're entitled to. He says, you receive it by faith. Then verse 17, it says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him. I'm going to read out the Amplified. It says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He was appointed our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and speaks to the non-existent things that he had foretold and promised as if they already existed. It literally means this. God goes to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you a father. Abraham had tried to be a father all his life, he couldn't be a father. The moment that God said to him, I made you a father, he became the father. He gained the strength to become a father. So there are things in your life that you don't have the strength to do until you get a word from God. That's why when in your marriage, you need a word. 
That's why you need a word about your kids. That's why you need a word. That's why you need a word because the word will give you strength to produce what you couldn't have produced before. There is a difference between staying married because it's the right thing and staying married because you got a word. Because a word will anchor you when they crack. It's a difference between going after a house when God says, that's your house, and you just want that house. Because when God says, that's your house, that means that he has appointed it for you. It means that everything you need in order to get it, he will remove every obstacle to get it. And so sometimes when obstacles aren't moving, you should ask if you got a word. Amen. And then it says, look at Abraham. I love this verse 18. It says, for Abraham, human reason for hope was gone. It says, this is what literally what faith looks like. Faith is greater than hope. Faith literally says, the doctor has said there is no chance they can recover. And God says they will. Human reason says, just accept the prognosis. And then faith says, but I got a word. So it says, Abraham didn't have any reason to hope for a kid. He didn't have any reason to hope for a kid. His wife was barren, he, and, and, and there must have been something wrong with him too because he could have had kids before. He didn't have kids before, even though he had, um, he had other women, he had other wives, because back in the day, don't try, men, don't try this at home. That, that's not how we roll now. Don't try this at home. Don't, don't pull that out of the Jewish thing. We don't play that up in here, okay? One wife. One girlfriend who is the wife, okay? That's it, all right? So, right, <laughs> one wife per income is what they said up here. <laughs> one wife per income, okay? So, so Abraham, he doesn't have a reason to believe. There are things that God will speak to you that you don't have a reason to believe. You don't have a reason to believe except God said it, and now you have a reason. And it says, so Abraham hoped against hope and hoped in faith that he would become the father of many nations. Verse 19, you got to look at this. And being not weak in faith, because here's how you stay in faith. It says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, his own fill in the blank. Here's what happens. God says to you, I'm going to promote you this year. God says to you, I'm going to make your marriage the best marriage you've ever had. God says to you, I'm going to deal with those migraines. You're going to be free from them. God says to you, we're going to get rid of this student loan debt. You start looking at yourself. You start saying, this is how much money I got. He tells you, go get a promotion. You go to your Rolodex and look at everybody you think you know who could do it for you. You start trying to network and start trying to make the people know. He says Abraham's strength was that he didn't consider himself. He hoped against hope, and the reason he didn't get weak in faith is because he, re he refused to look at the natural to produce the supernatural. See, when God gives you a job that you don't qualify for, you may work naturally, but it's supernatural. Because it took some supernatural maneuvering to position you to get what you didn't qualify for. So it says, he didn't consider his own body now dead. When God, I, to me, this is how God works. When you have the least ability, has there ever been something that you wanted and when you had the ability to get it, you didn't get to get it? 
And then about when that thing is dead and you have completely forgotten about it, God will resurrect it again because that's what God does. He does it to produce your faith so that you will know that God never needed your ability. He only needed your faith. Amen. Now, as they would say in the old church, I am preaching way better than y'all saying amen. Amen. It said, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, and it says, because he didn't consider himself, he was fully persuaded. Faith is a position of being fully persuaded. How do you stay fully persuaded? You don't entertain other than anything other than what God said. Once God told us he was going to turn our marriage around, our first rule was that divorce came off the table. We could not discuss divorce. You cannot be trying to build a marriage and then get mad and say, well, maybe this didn't work. Maybe I should have married John. No, that's not how you get a better marriage. You have to take the option of escape off the table so you can build something. If the Lord told you to stay in northwest Arkansas, why are you always looking at jobs and houses in Atlanta? Because all you're doing is brewing discontentment. And so then you begin to feel grievous that God is holding something back from you because he won't let you go to this place as though God is a mean and hard taskmaster and he would want you to be in a place that wasn't best for you. So when God gives you a word, anchor yourself on it. And then you'll see what God said. Glory Copeland says it like this, that if you believe God, if you're willing to stand for God forever, you won't have to stand very long. So I'm going to give you these four steps what you need to do if you go walk in faith number one you need to hear the word I don't just mean you need to read your Bible I mean that when you are praying you need to say stuff like this God what do you want to do in my life this year what do you want to do in my marriage what do you want to do in my family what do you want to do on my job what areas do you need me to work on? How do you want me to grow? How do I need to prepare? It's not just, Lord, bless me, let it come like it's may. It is, Lord, give me some instructions to be positioned to succeed. Now, when I see, when I hear that God says, for example, if he says, I'm going to get you out of debt. Now I go to the word and I look up all the scriptures that talk about debt freedom. So now I have a word that supports what God said. So now when I'm watching the news and they talking about how the debt get worse, I go, maybe for everybody else, but I got a word from the Lord. We, this family, go be debt free. We believe in God that we're going to be free from the flu. Why? It ain't a scripture in this Bible that tell you you got to get the flu. In fact, it says that the flu is nothing more than a plague. In Psalms 91, it says, no plague shall come nigh your dwelling. You don't keep your kids from getting the flu just because you're a nice person and you stop and your life's all everything. You keep your kids from getting the flu by declaring the word. You say, in this house, you've been redeemed by the Lord. The flu don't get to live here. That's what the Bible says. And the challenge is that if you're real, real educated, your education will work against what God says. And so you, get a, you hear a word from, from God. And then you start saying what God said. You especially, listen, if you got kids, the best thing you can do is get your kids involved in faith. If, if you believe in God to be debt-free or to take a vacation to a place or to get a promotion, you get your kids in the morning. Hey, your kids say, say, we believe God, Daddy, get a promotion. Babe, kids' faith work. 
their faith work. Most of the time, I don't want adults to pray for me. I'm like, go find me about six kids, because six kids, they believe me, anything can happen. And so you speak the word. You start saying what God is saying. We can always determine your faith by what's coming out your mouth. If you're talking about the economy, if you're talking about how bad things are, if you're talking about how you're not going to make it, you're not in faith. I know you say you're keeping it real. You're keeping your situation really like God said it shouldn't be because you keep on keeping it real. You need to align with God. So number two, you speak the word. Number three, you get wisdom. You ask God for a specific plan. God, I need a plan. God, we, I need a new job. I need to make more money. What do you need me to do? God, I need to go back to school. I don't have the money to go back to school. What do you need me to do? God, I need to start this business. I believe you put it in my heart. What do you need me to do? You get wisdom because wisdom is the principal thing. Do we look at experts? Yes, but we only follow experts when they agreed with God. And number four, you act on the word. There is no faith unless you act. No faith unless you act. You must act on the word. If you believe giving produces something and you don't give, you're not really in faith. If you believe that drinking more water would change your body and you don't drink water, you're not in faith. You got some knowledge, but they ain't producing nothing. If you don't act on faith, if you believe that God could change your situation, but you don't give it to him, you keep on trying to manage it. You're not in faith. You have to do your success. Listen, guys, God ain't trying to hold no good from you. God is for you. The Bible says he, he, God is not measuring you based on your mistakes. He is not judging what you didn't do right. God didn't even upset about the times you got out of faith. He just wants you to come back and say, hey, I'm back in the game. Put me in, coach. Let's go. Let's roll. So God is not judging you based on your past or even by your present lack of faith. But you build faith by getting in the word and agreeing with God. And if you do, God, you don't have a problem. I say this almost every week. You don't have a problem. You don't have a situation that is too big for God. You don't even have anything that shocks God. You don't have a secret. Your secret may shock you, the, the other people, but your secrets don't shock God. You should just come clean about what's really going on so he can help you. God is for you. And if you don't fight him, you'll live a good life. Just like in the same way sometimes as a parent, you just wish your kids would stop fighting you. Because if they would stop fighting you, you would be like, if you just, really, you really just like, if you would just be obedient. In fact, Isaiah 19 says this. It says, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. I tell my kids that all the time. I'm like, if you just, if you just do what I tell you to do, because I'm for you. I am for you. How do you know God is for you? You have made some colossal messes of your life, and God still helped you. He still helped you. God isn't out to get you. He is for you. Stop fighting God. Don't just stop fighting God where sin is concerned. If God is saying he want to do something big in your life, let him do something big. You don't know who's attached to that. You don't know whose life will be changed. We think about, we say this all the time. We've gotten the opportunity to travel the country and help people with their marriages. 
Pastor Edwin has literally had men walk up to him in the men's conference and tear their divorce papers up in front of him, saying to him that they had come to his session and said if he, didn't, if he couldn't give them some advice, they were going to f- serve the, their wife with the papers. People who now are still together. When we was trying to change our marriage, we weren't thinking about helping nobody else. We just didn't want to hate each other. You don't know why when God is telling you to step out in this next place or when God is telling you to hold still in this next, do you have any idea how much I have wanted to leave Northwest Arkansas? In my life, I never could have imagined that I would live in Northwest Arkansas. Who would pick this as a place to live? I wouldn't. But I have seen God be extremely good to me in Northwest Arkansas. So just because it doesn't look like what you think it will look like doesn't mean God isn't for you. So I want to challenge you to be in faith. Anybody committed to being in faith? Amen. Y'all going to have to be a little more excited when y'all come to church. When, um, y'all had to, I had to work on that, okay? Um, anybody committed to being in faith? <clears throat> All right, stand to your feet. We're going to make our faith confession and Pastor Evans going to come. I hope you were blessed by the word. Um, you can go to focchurch.tv and you can listen to the podcast of this message for free. In fact, all the messages are on there for free. You pass them on to somebody else. We really just want to see people win. We want to see you like your kids. We want to see you going on date nights. We want to see uh, we, we want to see your teenagers prospering and being successful. We want to see you like to go to work. We want to see you being like, we, you need to like to go to work. You know how many people you can minister to when you like to go to work? Do you know that when you don't like to go to work, you don't even notice people need ministering to because you need all the ministering? We, we, don't, we don't just want you to like to go to work. We want you to get a fair wage for your work. We don't want you to work and then you get your paycheck and you're already sad because it was gone because it wasn't enough to begin with. We want that for you because that's what God wants for you. We want you to have a house that's peaceful. We want you to like to come home. We want you to look forward to your boo coming home. And life, you want to be some lighting up. You want, you want your kids to see you. Listen, this serious. Your kids need to see you going on date nights. That your kids need to see that they aren't the most important thing, that they're important, but they're not the most important thing. Your kids need to hear you be like, yeah, um, we need y'all to go in y'all room because we need to talk uninterrupted. This song ain't about you. Whole world ain't about you. It's not about you. Why? Because when you, when you have a good marriage, do you know how many people out here struggling in their marriage? Do you realize that when you have a good marriage, there are people you can minister to? Do you realize that when you raise a teen that don't act a fool, how many people you can minister to? Do you realize that when you like your job and you overcome difficult people, how many people you can minister to? Listen, let me tell you something. If you live in victory in your life, we don't have to knock on people's doors to get them saved. They'll get saved by your life. They'll get saved by your life. It'll be your life. And, and, and sometimes I wonder if the reason that people are rejecting Jesus is because they don't see any victory. Let them see some victory. Stop trying to yell at the people and try to make them get saved out there hollering at Live like saved folks live so they'll want to be saved. Amen? Let's make our faith confession. Say, I declare, I am a person of faith. Say, I choose to believe that God is for me. Say, every instruction that God gives to me is for my good. Say, because I am a person of faith, I will not fight against God at work in my life. Say, God, I give you permission. Do whatever you want to do in my life starting now. Let's go. Amen.
Amen. How many of you enjoyed the word this morning? Amen. 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 We're talking about being in faith, and one of the things I want to share with you uh, about being in faith is, is, is what we're believing for. And so many of you know that we talked about April the 5th, which is Easter, possibly being our launch date. And one of the things we've talked about, and one of the reasons we met here this week and we'll meet here on the 22nd, is we want to give you an idea of what